one, go. Go. All right. This, believe it or not, is another episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name is Alon. And my name is Ara. Ara, the... And it's uh, been a long time. Ara, the jet setting. Where have oh, you been gosh. these days? Well, I've had literally, and, and it takes, it gives me such great pleasure to be able to say literally in um, a rational way. I've had literally the busiest month of my entire life this past month. How much time have you actually spent so, at home? I have, I have a really good excuse for us uh, not having done a show in about five weeks. Um, well, I actually did spend quite a lot of time at home, but I also spent five, how many weeks was it? It was about two weeks in Manila, or was it one week? See, it's all been a blur. I think it was something like 10 days, at least based on when you said you were going to go. Oh, yeah, that, that's probably, it's in the middle of them. I, I don't know that's if you recall, right. because as you pointed out, you've been very busy, but you were like, yeah, so I might go to the Philippines next week, you know, from these days to these days. And... um then the time came and I was like, oh, I wonder if he's in the Philippines. So, like, I'm texting you and I don't get any response. So I figure he probably That's went. That's in the Philippines. Yeah. When I don't give you a response. But, like, you, you never confirmed. You never no said. in the Philippines. You never said, hey, by the way, I'm definitely going to be in the Philippines. <laughs> so I was just like, uh, maybe. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was all a blur. You know what's very um, crazy about being a freelance designer is that um, – well, it's much harder being a freelance designer than being a freelance programmer or artist. And so what comes with that, it seems, is that it's totally feast or famine. Um, so I'd been having a lot of trouble, you know, looking for paying work for a while. And then all of a sudden, like, I get – I actually had, like, three jobs last month, which was pretty awesome. Three um, jobs? I knew you went to the Philippines yeah. for one particular job. I didn't know you had two others going on. Oh, wait, no, maybe yeah, well, they're not all like – they're not all longer term, right? But, you know, like I'm I'm still teaching and then I got like this other short-term contract that um, paid really nicely, which is great. But then it's not that great because it's like all the money I'm getting from that is just going to like painting and like other things that I have to do, right? So I don't get to actually like see it. Did but you I say can it feel goes good about – Yeah, I have to pay my house. That's – we won't talk about that. That's not fun to talk about. Um, it was just also, weird you know, G- I'm going to be talking about actual painting later. But okay, keep going. Okay, yeah, but you have there's your painting topic is a lot more closely related to video games than my painting topic. Yeah, that's why I was confused. Which, but okay, which we will no longer um, discuss. But also, what happened last week was GDC Next. So that's a huge. Um, you know, I went to speak there. So that was like a crazy. Once in a lifetime experience, and then, um, and those were the big ones. So yeah, I've been um, more busy than I'd like to be, but it's uh, it's good to be really busy once in a while. So tell me more about the GDC next thing. I, I know you've told me before, but it's been so long that I don't even remember what the topic was. Yeah, this is. I have I have like a fun little story about this about somebody who I thought was John Blow actually. So I was – so I submitted a proposal to give a talk for at GDC Next. And so GDC Next actually happened last Monday uh, and Tuesday and it was in Los Angeles. And 
this was like an offshoot satellite like GDC because GDC was, I guess, getting so big and too popular that they decided there was, you know, a market for another GDC. Although the attendance was kind of low, so I think they've decided that, no, in fact, the market cannot sustain another GDC like this. Um, but nevertheless, um, so I submitted this talk, and it was called Video Games Learning and Unintended Consequences. And I only found out that I got in um, like about a month before. And this was also at the same time that all this crazy stuff with the Philippines was happening. So anyway, needless to say, I had like a lot less time to prepare my talk than I thought I did. Had you basically like was forgotten actually, that you'd even submitted the suggestion? Oh, no, I hadn't forgotten because this has been like, you know, this has been like one of my like once in a lifetime dreams to do, like I said, right? So I definitely not forgotten about it. I was afraid they had forgotten about it. <laughs> um, okay. But anyway, I, I found out and then I'm like, okay, well, so now I have to cram because I have to um, – you know, redo this talk to uh, make it better and, like, you know, rational and sensible and just have it, like, be good and smooth, right, which is, like, not where it was before. And so the funny thing was was that I was driving – I decided to drive up to L.A., so that's, like, a six-hour drive uh, instead of flying because I just didn't have time to take care of the flying logistics. And – I had ended up leaving a lot later in the day, uh, which was the day before. So this is like a Sunday. So basically, like, I get to L.A. at 10, and I have, like, at least three hours of work to do on my slides for my presentation. So this is 10 p.m. My talk is the next morning at, like, 11.30 a.m. And so I had told myself before I left Phoenix, I was like, all right, I'm going to get to L.A. I'm going to do, like, a few hours of work, and then it will all be good. But by the time I got there, I was like I had a just fantastically enormous headache. Hadn't had a headache in like over a year, maybe even two. And so this was like the best time for me to get a headache. So that's really awesome. Uh, so anyway, at that point, I decided like, okay, I'm not only having a splitting headache, but I'm just far too exhausted to be doing any work. So I'm going to go to sleep. And I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. And I'm going to go to the convention center at 7 a.m. And I'm just going to work on my talk there. And so that's what I totally did. And I got there at 7 a.m. And the, they were actually opening at 7 uh, for registration. But nobody was there. Like, it wouldn't actually start until, uh, like, 9 a.m., right? So I go into, like, this – they had, like, a room for, like, speakers to, you know, just, like, do their work or whatever, so I, like, went into their speaker lounge. There was, like, nobody there except for, like, some girl from the U.K. And she was on, like, U.K. time, and it was 7 a.m. And I actually – so the crazy part was that I was basically making edits way, way until the very last second. And the other thing that was kind of cool was that around, like, 9 a.m., they had, like, a um, practice room set up, and nobody had signed up for the practice room. So I was like, okay, I'm going to practice. And the really cool thing was that the um, like the volunteers leader, you know how they have like volunteers at all these GDCs? Yeah, I used to be one. They wear like, yeah, like orange shirts or whatever the color of the year is. So they had this guy, uh, I was talking to this guy, he was kind of like their leader, right? And he was like, oh, you want some audience? And I'm like, sure. And it was great because I was like practicing my talk at nine in the morning with like, you know, 10 like volunteers who were actually like really into it and they were like really engaged. So that was like really invigorating. I've never anyway, heard of a speaker practice room. I've spoken at a lot of conferences before, 
And that yeah. is a really cool idea. I like that. Um, it is. I don't think some people took advantage of it. I don't think a lot of people did. No, but it, um, it, what it does is it tells the speakers, like, we expect a lot from you. We expect you to do a good job because there are a lot of speakers that do really crappy jobs. And yeah. um, I think that that hopefully sends a signal to people saying, like, we want you to do a good job. We want to give you the tools to do a good job. And I, I respect that a lot. Yeah. Well, it was absolutely essential because let me tell you, um, you know how when you're giving a talk, there's like parts of it that you're that they're like not smooth. You know, they're like not really it's like not really coming together the way that you like think it should. And you like don't really know what to do. And so like every time you get to a certain section like that, like you kind of stumble over it and it's not really like very effective and it's not very strong. And like you just like parts need work. Yeah, you know usually I mean? that's my opening. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I mean. The funny part was that I had several parts just like that basically the morning that I was going to give the presentation. And it was only because I had like practiced it that morning again that like finally, like literally like half an hour before – this is the second time I've said literally. Before I had to give the talk, I was finally done and I was finally like, okay, like now the whole talk makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Like now I'm finally happy with everything. And so how, so that was how did people like the take the real talk? Time. How did it go? So here's something really interesting, right? So I don't know if any of you guys have heard of Raf Koster. So Raf Koster is like one of the uh, most respected designers in the whole industry. And it just so happened that he was like pretty much probably the biggest name giving a talk at this conference. And it just so happened that he was also giving a talk exactly opposite my talk. Does that mean at the same time as yours? Yeah, that's what it means. Okay. So um, if you do the math and read between the lines, uh, basically what I'm saying is that he had a packed room because everybody knew who he was and I had a, a very much less than packed room. So that was a little disappointing. But you know what? Like it didn't really take anything away from the experience because here, here's the here's – this was the crazy part. So I'm up there and I'm getting ready to start talking, right? And I'm thinking to myself that I've overprepared so much. I've practiced this so many times that I'm actually tired of talking about the subject. If you can believe that's possible. Yeah, I can. I'm I'm just like I'm tired of it. I'm like I'm really tired of it. And so like I'm really experiencing this very strange feeling while I'm giving the talk because I'm getting excited and I really enjoy the fact that, like, this is a lot more coherent than it was, you know? And this was just a lot better put together than it was before. And I can tell that it's coming across better for it, you know? And so, like, that's really satisfying to me. But at the same time, too, it's like I've, like, given this talk, I don't know, probably, like, five times in the last five days. And I'm sick of it, too. Psst. Chatterboxers. We lost about a minute of audio, so... Let's just pretend I got Lara talking about John Blow again. You you know what actually made it uh, extremely non-intimate but was very good for me? So there's this guy on the way left side and I'm like, oh my god, that looks like John Blow. And so I'd convinced myself that that was John Blow as I was giving the talk. 
Um, and of course, later it turned out that it wasn't him at all. You know, it was just some guy with glasses and a bald head, um, with in in the same shape of John Blow. But um, the you know what was the incredible thing I learned from that was that it didn't actually like me thinking that somebody of that person's stature and respect and like just command of everything that he commands. Um, I was really surprised that that didn't actually make me nervous to think that he was in. I really thought that he was there. It actually kind of um, like turned me on a little bit, like not in the sexy way. I mean, in like the performance way, you know what I mean? Like, I think it actually helped me perform a little better. Me thinking that there was somebody who was like such an important person in the crowd. And so the really awesome thing about that is that, like, I know that, like, next time I try to do a talk at, like, the real GDC, like, there could be, like, a, you know, it could be, like, 100 or 200 people there and, like, I can still do it. And so, like, that's that, that was actually what I took away from the whole experience, you know, is that, like, now I've convinced myself that I can talk in front of big crowds. And, um, I mean, that's, like, a really – that's a really meaningful personal accomplishment for me. So, I mean – I will just offer you up some congratulations for getting to do this thing that you've wanted to do for years and years. Um, are you thinking you're going to try to do another one in the future? Oh, yeah, definitely. I just have to figure out what I'm going to talk about, you know, because the only the funny part is like the only one of the only reasons why I feel like I was even able to like accomplish this is that like I like found something that I wanted to tell the world about that I really cared about, you know. You know, I have a particular talk, and this is not associated with video games, but it's, you know, just in the industry where I work, um, where I had gotten like a little bit frustrated about what I was seeing. And so I decided I want to tell this particular story. And that's how I came up with that, you know, that sequence of slides and the discussion, which honestly was a little bit outside of what I normally do, but that's what I wanted to talk about. And I've given that talk many, many times since then, and people really enjoy it. Uh, but it's it is because it's, it's something that I was interested in telling and and saying. So I think I understand what you're talking about. Oh, you know what? I, let me. There's actually something else I want to say about um about some of the events that were happening after hours at GDC next. I hope they didn't involve booth babes and things like that because that would be very against the GDC way of life. Oh well, I don't know about that, but um. I guess that's up to the companies, but um, wasn't GDC one of the ones where they're like we're not going to allow any sort of girls or like crazy stuff at bars? I thought like, that was uh, E three, but well, GDC E3... traditionally has not had like a very strong um, booth bay presence. Yeah, Although n- now that now that you've already broached the topic, um, I did find that like I did find myself um, accidentally flirting with somebody at a booth who was very attractive, and it was. Um, Hey, she started it. Is all I can say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, there was actually something that I also discovered, which is really new to me. Maybe it's not new to everybody who goes to conferences, but I figured out that if you talk to random people, sometimes you will get invitations to cool things that are happening after the conference. Oh yeah, absolutely. So one of the really cool things that happened was um, somebody in my audience uh, liked my talk and he came up to me and he was like, hey, we're doing this Indie Games Live party, uh, which was invitation only. 
and it was also like guarded by a like metal detector so like that made me feel really special going inside um and so yeah i mean i got an invitation just because he liked my talk so that was like really awesome and it actually turned out to be this uh this party that was called indie games live where there's a bunch of uh, independent game developers showing off their stuff um some of which you know couldn't actually afford to go to gdc because the the pass prices are astronomical. It's like $1,300 to get like a, you know, pass where you can go to sessions and stuff. And it's a pretty pricey one. But GDC Next, pricey. I thought, was a lot less because GDC Next is, you know, this smaller satellite deal. Yeah. And apparently uh, they did not go um, down on the prices. And perhaps uh, that was one of the reasons why the attendance wasn't so spectacular. Yeah, that might explain it. Um, but it was it was really cool because I got to see a bunch of games I couldn't see before. And actually, it's funny because it turned out that uh, Gung Ho was sponsoring that party. And they were actually doing a live stream event from it. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And I got to meet the producer for uh, – the American producer for Puzzle and Dragons. And I, I could – I went up to her and I was like, hey, I play your game and I don't spend any magic stones. And she's like, yeah, I do the same thing. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I don't spend any magic stones. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, that actually, that, that relates to something I want to talk about later. Like, we have so much to talk about that's not even, like, directly game stuff. I don't know what we're going to do with today's show. Well, um, indirectly game stuff is always cool, too. That do, means uh, do you we wanna, can just say we're sophisticated or something. Do you want to talk more about what you've done with your, your time away from the show in the last month or so? Or do you want to move on to something else? That's actually, like... Um, Let's give uh, – I think people are sick of hearing my voice. So let's go do one of your things a little bit and then we come back to mine. OK. Um, well, then I guess I'll talk about the thing that's sort of been on my mind for a long time. One of the reasons we haven't been recording the show, first of all, in the last you know five weeks, Ara has been especially busy. Um, I, however, have also been very busy working on a new thing that I did talk about a little bit on our Facebook page. Um, I didn't give out all the details or anything, but I do want to talk about it. And uh, let you guys in on the not so secret secret. So, I had put an image, um, you know, a photograph of a painting up on our Facebook page, and I asked people what what we should title that particular painting. And the reason that I had this painting is that I have decided to start a new business, and uh, that business involves working with an artist that I know. Um, I mean, relatively well, considering it's not like we know each other outside of the fact that he does art. Um, but he's he's become a friend of mine and he does incredible art, uh, surrealist stuff, but none of it has anything to do with game, games or, you know, at all. He's done some art, like a couple paintings with Hello Kitty in it, so it kind of relates to the same group, but he's generally not much of a, um, a game player. But I was like, you could do some amazing video game art and I want to see it. And that was, you know, when I first met him, a couple years ago and i recently thought you know what i i could totally make money if i give this guy a call and if you lock him up in a sweaty room and pr- require him to paint 24 7 pr- pretty much i was like i'm gonna pitch to him that he makes some art based on you know some ideas that i have or he he just does his art and injects some characters that i suggest um and then i i think i'll be able to sell these prints because i know the work is going to be really really good and so i guess to make potentially long story short um he loves the idea he's totally into it and the very first one he made um is the painting that i put a photo up 
uh, photo of on our Facebook page. And, oh, I really should have looked at this in advance. One of our listeners and Facebook uh, fans gave a great title for it. And so I need to send him a, a print once we have like the official prints printed, which uh, has yet to happen. I have to send him one um, to thank him for, for coming up with the name. But if you're interested to see this art, um, well, you can go to our Facebook page, but also the new company is called 8Bot, um, 8Bot Art specifically. So if you go to 8Bot, excuse me, 8BotArt.com um, or, you know, 8Bot Art on Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram or Pinterest, any of the places where you're going to find us, um, it's all 8Bot Art with the number eight, but the website spell it out number it doesn't matter um and you'll be able to see this stuff we've only finished one painting so far he's working on the second one it's mostly finished but it's not totally finished yet i think that's going to be like the big one that draws the most attention and we want to have a third one by thanksgiving and the plan is that these prints will be sold uh on an existing storefront that i you know friends of mine have managed and i will be managing in the future um it 8 bit.com it the number eight bit.com is um, a tumblr website that is run by someone who it's part of a much larger um, tumblr blog network that's very very successful has a lot of fans and or followers whatever you call them and uh, there's a store attached to it8bit.com it's it's just it8bit.storeenvy.com because it's a store envy store. And uh, anyway, I'm, gonna, I'm taking over that store and I'm putting this 8-bot art onto that store and we will be selling it. And uh, I hope that some of our listeners will appreciate it and want to buy some for Christmas or for friends or whatever, again, for Christmas. Um, what I definitely want, we ask for feedback all the time on this show and it's super rare i don't know if people listening think that we get a lot of feedback so that they shouldn't share their own because well somebody else probably already gave their opinion um that's what people, most people think yeah no it doesn't happen it doesn't happen we put it out there we say hey go on facebook tell us what you think send us emails and sometimes people do and we're appreciative all the time but uh it's super rare that we hear anything at all even uh, if they're adversarial, case, we are super appreciative. Oh, yeah. Good, bad, whatever. I mean, if something sucks, we want to know about it. So anyway. Although, although people have also found out if they get adversarial with me, I get also adversarial back to them. That is true. Yeah. Um, but that won't happen with this artwork. Uh, I am genuinely, genuinely interested to hear what people have to say about it. Um, in fact, one of my Facebook threads, just on my personal Facebook, a lot of people were saying how much they didn't like it. Um, but I think it's totally great and um i hope other people will so you should go take a look at that art uh, again it's 8botart.com or 8 art anywhere else and um i want to hear what you guys think and if you would pay for it uh that would be also very interesting my wife has gotten to the point where like she doesn't know what to buy me so she tries to buy me video game art and she's like i've never been able to find any like it's not a the stuff I do find isn't great or it's really hard to find something that is good and hopefully we'll fill that niche. And we're trying to like, we're going to get metallic photo prints of this stuff and we're doing like big canvas prints. We're doing, you know, any type we can. There's all sorts of interesting possibilities. I've talked to art reproduction places and I don't need to go into all the details, but bottom line is we're creating some amazing art. I say we, it's mostly Jeffrey, the artist, uh, not so much me but I am helping him along the way. And uh, anyway, I hope people will, will buy it because it's awesome. And, you know, I want to make money because I don't really make any <laughs> right now. So I hope it works. Otherwise, I've wasted a lot of time and my own money getting this all started. 
anyway, we uh, we're going to break now. So I guess in the in the interim, you guys can go check out that website and look at the art, and uh, then go to Facebook and tell me what you think. In the meantime, we'll go to break and be right back. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio World Travel Edition. Yeah, um, you like how I'm like still top- pretending to be like a shock jock. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've ever stopped that theme. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I stopped it's it only- as right after the introduction. <laughs> yeah, it's only been like eight years. Um, so there's a, a couple like more specific gamey topics to get into, but before we do, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about about this art thing. Um, I did mention it's a you know partially about making money because I need to survive and you know feed my family and all that stuff. But uh, we are truly excited, at least I am um, personally, about the art that is is being made here. And one of the things I want to do, I did not know this existed, and I don't know if you do either. Have you heard of Patreon? Uh, I've heard of Protons and I've heard of Patriots, but I've not heard of Patreon. Okay, so you know what Kickstarter is? We've talked about that a million times. I've heard of Patron um, also. Okay, so Patreon, it's like Patron, right? But it's called Patreon. Um, That is something where artists and content creators of all kinds, let's say you're a YouTube channel, right? Um, You create videos, but you're not making enough money off of your the ads in your videos you can say hey guys i'm making this content i want you to support me and pay me x number of dollars a month or just any any amount of dollars a month and that'll enable me to keep doing this stuff and if we get to two thousand dollars a month then i can hire an editor and if we get to ten thousand dollars a month i can you know fly around the world and see all these cool places that we then put on video and talk to you about right that sort of thing um so it's like you want you're trying to find patrons of the arts basically exactly exactly so my goal is to get enough interest in this stuff and enough respect that people believe every piece of art will be awesome and want to collect it, that we would start a Patreon um, where people are, you know, they get a reduced price for, you know, if they were buying the print separately, they would get a reduced price and get a signed print and whatever. And I have all sorts of ideas to make it more attractive and interesting for people. Um, And I'll be selling the stuff at you know, comic cons and all that. Oh, by the way, I totally need people to tell me which comic cons are cool and which ones to go to. Cause I've only ever been to like Phoenix comic con. Um, I know San Diego is huge and super hard to get into, you know, to get a table at these things, you have to like plan almost a year in advance. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to, you know, those things take these... a year to plan in and of themselves too. Y- yes, I do. Um, Anyway, I hope to get a Patreon started if people like the stuff enough, which is one reason I want the feedback that I'm asking about. Um, granted, there's only one piece to really give your feedback on right now. But in the next couple of weeks, when we, we go full announcement style and try to, you know, get more press about it, um, I certainly want to hear what people think and if they would be interested in a, in a Patreon style thing where they pay, you know, $20 a month and get a copy of a print that would normally cost $30 a month or something like that. You know, uh, I want to uh, digress a little bit because you reminded me of um, something that I've been like noticing a lot lately, 
just in like my own trying to um, survive as a freelancer. It's very What's funny. That? Like, let's say you're making your own games, right? And you're selling them. It's like if you want to be a self-publisher, then when you make your games, it's like you have to convince a whole lot of people to spend a very small amount of money. But the situation I find myself in actually is like I my challenge is uh, – and, and in some ways, this actually I think is um, an easier thing to accomplish is instead of trying to convince right a ton of people to spend a little money – my problem is I have to convince a small amount of people to spend a lot of money on me. Yeah, like a job. Yeah, it's called a job, right? But it's right, but it's it's harder because you you just have to do it on a you know case by case, client by client basis. And it, yeah, it's just true. interesting to me that like you know I just I notice that I have to, you have to sell yourself. You know, it's it's just just like. Like the product I'm selling is not like a particular game, right? It's like you have to sell your own talents on somebody. And it's like you can't get away from selling no matter what you do. You know, it's like most most of my life I've been like, no, I like creative things. You know, I hate salespeople. And it's like after a while, like you kind of just seem to like get over that like polarity about it. And you just like – you start to realize that like every, actually like everything is always about selling yourself all the time kind of. Yeah, it's basically adulthood. Yeah, it's, that's a good word for it, sure. Yeah. So um, what we have to do is sell our listeners on uh, continuing to pay attention to us. That's so true. Th- 30 minutes into a show and haven't really <laughs> talked about anything useful. At least I'm aware of it, guys. At least I'm aware. Um, all right. So there there are a few things that, that came up. Uh, these are very, very recent things, not stuff that has been like dwelling in my brain for a month and a half. Um, but... So today is Tuesday. We are recording on the evening of the 11th. And I don't know if you realize this, but today is the day that Halo Master Chief Collection came out for the Xbox One. Did you know that? Uh, no, that seemed to have slipped my mind there. Yeah. Just a little so bit. So I'm not sure why, but for some reason, this game is warranting a lot of attention. It's not a new game. It's a collection of older games that, for whatever reason... People are going, not crazy over, but like they're into it and it's warranting discussion. And one of the things is that matchmaking is totally not working on it properly. Like you got to wait several minutes and then it's not even a full match. And then uh, when when you get into the game, it works. So that's good. But like even custom matchmaking isn't working <laughs> properly. And I don't, I don't want to beat this topic too much because I know we've discussed it, but I don't understand especially for a game that had some of the best matchmaking ever that other games should have been modeling after. Um, that was Halo 2. And I presume the later Halos that I didn't play very much of. Um, how is it that games today can come out, especially from a group of people who have already released games with exactly the same functionality and have it not work? Like it's, it blows my mind <laughs> that these problems exist. And I don't know what it is. I don't know how it can happen. Maybe, um, maybe, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these are old games, right? So what did they do? Did, I mean, if it's all the same old code, it had to have been something on the server side that changed, right? I, I am guessing it is not old code. I am guessing the network code is made to work properly with the Xbox One and all that. Um, yeah. Well, a lot of times they... what happens, and, you know, I'm just throwing this out there, 
is that, you know, especially for big licensed products, it's like they kind of have like an A team and a B team, you know? So maybe the B team got the networking. Well, I'm just saying like maybe like because this is like a re-release type thing. Right. Maybe this is, you know, not not the best talents at the company implementing this version of their product. I'm guessing that's not the case because the networking in this game is probably the most important feature since the games were already made. Right. I'm not saying just the networking. I'm just saying like because I I don't understand how it could even I don't even actually understand what you're explaining, like how that could even be possible, because if it's the same game and it worked before, how can it be any different other than unless their servers are different? You know, like I said. Well, I mean, so the collection is Halo 1 through 4. The first two came out on the Xbox. The next two came out on... Uh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, the next two came out on the 360. Although I think the first and second Halos also came out on the 360. <laughs> I can't even re- remember anymore. But now they've updated the graphics for Halo 2 to be Xbox One quality. Uh, and then Xbox... 3 and 4 are just re-releases of the 360 version. But I think they're also, like, making all the maps available to... I, I don't know. I, I'm certain that the matchmaking, like, is new. It's not like you play Halo 2 and you matchmake using the Halo 2 yeah. network code. It sounds like there's a lot of re-implementation. So basically what I'm saying... I'm not saying that, like, the B team got the network code. I'm saying, like, maybe the B team got, the like, everything that they redid or changed to make this package. You know, maybe because it's like because this is one of those like cash grab things. It's not like we're making a new game. It's like, okay, we're going to release this other thing. So I always get the feeling like those types of releases, they're just like not really treated quite as attentively. Yeah, probably not. Although they they claim that they made, you know, they put in some serious effort into this one. Of course, they're always going to claim that. Well, yeah, of course, um, especially especially if there's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Regardless of the the reasoning behind it, I just. I can't fathom why this is happening. And it might be because I don't know that a Microsoft Studios game has been released that has like serious matchmaking on the Xbox One. I I don't know. It's just it's funky and you would think that they would have been able to test around it. Um they didn't do a beta where other games lately have been doing betas, so maybe that would have helped. Um I'm gonna hazard I mean, another it guess. Would have helped. What's that? So I think that maybe it's like um, like driving uh, in between the lines in the street in Manila, Philippines. Nobody cares. Okay. Just, you know, like these are not the new games. So they're like – so like the people who are playing them, right, they don't care as much about the intricacies of their experience as, you know, the more hardcore game fans – because, you know, because it's like a package, uh, you know, repackaged combo deal. And anyone who might complain, like, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I'm hazarding again that the developers also are, at least the publisher kind of like anticipates this, that there's going to be like less scrutiny about it. And so they're like, okay, like we don't have to go as hardcore on spending money for the implementation, right? Because they want to like make their money's worth on the re-release, so they don't want to spend too much on development. So maybe they cut some corners there. Yeah. I mean, something happened, and it just, like I said, I've said several times now, it kind of blows my mind. Um, There's another thing. I mean, you could say that, hold on, hold on. You could say that it blows your mind that anything works at all, but uh, that's just just my attitude. I've been playing Titanfall now, 
for months and months and months. And I finally got to level 1050, by the way. 1050? Like, yeah, level level 10 or like generation 10, level 50 oh, finally okay. happened. I thought you were going to say 1050. No, no, no. And now they implemented like some other ranking where you can go beyond that, kind of. Of course. Anyway, it's – but I've, I finally got there. Um, so another game came out today, which is making a big splash – which is the new Assassin's Creed game, Assassin's Creed Unity. There's there's also Assassin's Creed Rogue for the older systems, the 360 and PS3. But I've really lost the, count of that franchise. Yeah. Oh, it's impossible to keep track. And at this at this point, especially it's Ubisoft, right? Like it can't be that special. It's going to be a rehash. And I haven't been reading the reviews, but there's something that's going on where you know what an embargo is for our listeners. Um, a review embargo is something that is unofficially imposed by these companies that provide games early to reviewers and press. So they say, yeah, hey, under under threat, I might add. Yeah. So they say, hey, we're going to give you this game a week early or however early they want. You get to play it so you can get your reviews ready, but you can't actually publish that review. You can't hit the publish button to put it up on your website until such and such a time. Actually, I misspoke. It's not done under threat. It's done under an implication of a threat. Pretty much. Because oftentimes... Yeah, the idea is right, that if... When, when, when embark... Well, you go, go for it. Yeah. If, if you break the rules and release it early, then basically we're just, we're just not going to send you review games anymore. And you'll have to wait. And then you won't get the scoop compared to the other people that you compete with journalistically. So... Yeah. That, Something that's always upset me about the, pub, the, the journalists... Um, publishers PR relationship. Yeah. Now, honestly, in this particular situation or in the case where they're willing to give you a game early and they don't want you to review it until someone else could have could play it hypothetically, I get it. Like that's not so crazy. But with Assassin's Creed Unity, they said uh not midnight is when you can release it. Although well, actually, the standard is really 3 3 a.m. Eastern, which would mean that everyone in the United States because of the West Coast uh, gets it at yeah. midnight, right? So at midnight, the latest U.S. midnight, well, not including Hawaii and Alaska, the latest continental U.S. midnight is when you can release it, 3 a.m. Eastern. But they decided, actually, 3 p.m. Eastern, so 12 <laughs> hours. In other words, not early enough that someone waiting in line at the midnight launch or who decides to get up early in the morning and go buy it, um, not early enough that someone could read that review and then choose not to buy it because of the review. Uh, I don't I don't understand what the effect of doing that is because you're just like it's like well it could have been the next day and they're releasing early. Well, the thing is that you know they want the like the you know the biggest sales point for a game or anything video game related is the moment it comes out. Right, whether it's a system yeah. or a game or whatever. So they want the midnight launch to go off without a hitch. They don't want people talking about or being a you know um biased being oh i just read this review while i was waiting in line and it says that the game is balls oh wait a minute so you're saying they launch at midnight but the reviews not come out 12 hours until 12 hours exactly later. there's a 12 hour delay ah. yeah now it's not guaranteed that people will release the journalists release their reviews at midnight anyway but that's usually what happens wait a minute that's that doesn't that don't sound right to me because you can go buy a game at midnight and write review in one hour. Yes. And then what? Exactly. Well, you wouldn't really have enough time to play it and give it a legitimate, you know. Well, test, yeah, but. I mean obviously there's that consideration, but it's like um 
That's really interesting. Yeah. So because... here's here's the thing. Kotaku actually wrote an article, which I'm I'm getting a little bothered by how meta game journalism is. Like you don't open up Esquire oh, magazine and have the editors talking to you about how they made the magazine and how the thought process of the articles and all that. But like, I I like the lean towards transparency. And maybe it's because of all the trolls and things that exist in this industry. But like they wrote a whole article about the fact that this was embargoed beyond the normal embargo time and that in the future, they're not going to respect those embargoes. If that happens, they're just going to release, you know, as soon as the game is publicly available, they will release. And if the people don't want to send them games early anymore, then so be it. But, you know, yeah, well, that's that's good for them because I'm actually incredibly mystified as to like how how it can be reasonable to ask a media outlet to not not put out a review until any amount of time after the game is out i mean once the game is out the game is out well yeah because the, the privilege Everyone's of them getting it early is eliminated at like. that point and exactly yeah this is you know what i think this is this is the um right this is like the embodiment of that phrase that says, like, you don't get – you don't ever get what's fair. You only get what you negotiate. Yeah, well – This is the PR end of things, trying to push things farther, you know, maybe, toward their favor. Maybe because – see if they can get away with it. Maybe because of this article, they won't do that anymore, right? It will embarrass them. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, as far as that goes, you know, I think that Kotaku is doing, like, an incredible public service. I hope it sticks yeah. because – Right, these sort of things are adversarial enough where it's like the only way that um, they can be stopped is if enough um, media outlets say no, we're not going to cooperate with that. You know, another thing that happens as a result of this is that uh, the press has caught on to the fact that if they don't get a review copy, the game probably sucks because they know, you know, the companies <laughs> don't send them a copy so that they can't play it early, so that they can't put a review out, so that people still buy it on day one. And that's what happened and in, in the fact, case of. The, the older generation game, Assassin's Creed Rogue, they did not get press copies yeah. early of. And so the assumption is it's not good. Yeah, they, they actually – this has been known for a while that publishers will do this. That it's actually happened to several of my games um, <laughs> that I've worked on. And it's it doesn't necessarily mean the game is a bad game. What it mostly means is that the publisher does not believe in the game. And the publisher thinks that when it gets reviewed, it's going to get badly reviewed. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes the publisher is right, but sometimes they're wrong too because they – usually the execs who trigger these sorts of activities um, or if they're not execs, the people who do, a lot of times they don't really understand what makes a game fun. You know, So they're just going off of like what the political climate about the game is. Which is too bad sometimes because good games get swept under the rug that way. Um, but yeah, I mean they, they totally do this as a tactic, right? And it's it's pretty lame because it's like, well, I guess I'm kind of an idealist and I tend to think if you're going to put out a game and if it's good enough to be released into the world, then it's good enough to be promoted and represented as your best work and – you know, you should submit it for review scrutiny. But I guess, you know, not everything happens practically that way. So, yeah, a lot of times, like, if the publisher thinks that, like, the game as it's resulted 
uh, for whatever reason, is not good enough to get really good reviews, they just won't send any review copies out. Yep, absolutely. And it's and it just seems so backward because it's a very defensive move to me. You know, it's like you just like you're not even like you're just representing that you don't believe in your own product. You know. Well, apparently the game is actually at least on the Xbox One and PS4 uh, having problems. I don't I don't know if people like the game like having like I said I didn't read the reviews but I guess it's not working well like there are technical glitches and things which again that sounds pretty horrible that's my constant complaint from Ubisoft uh, that let's see uh, what it's doing fail. on the kicks or the what's the whole thing the medical what's what's yeah, more interesting cool. to me is a totally separate topic however still related to Assassin's Creed Unity uh, Polygon wrote this and you're gonna love this title uh, making sense of Assassin's Creed Unity's four different currencies. <laughs> yeah, I, that pleases me very much. Yeah. You're totally right. So the fact that they need to write this article at all is insightful. Apparently the game has has you able to purchase things using livres. It takes place in the French Revolution, right? So livres, like Louvre. Right, but L I V R E S. Isn't Libra a book? Isn't that a book? No, in that French? that's with a B, like boy. This is a V, like victory. So Libras. No, I think it's with a V, dude. Uh, I mean, maybe. It, incidentally, for whatever it's worth, um, yeah, Assassin's Creed Rogue getting an eighty-four on the Metacritic, but, and Master Chief Collection getting a ninety. Yeah, eighty-four so. is not bad. Eighty-four is not bad. Eighty-four is quite good. Yeah. Um. Anyway. I took French, but it was a long time ago, so I don't know. Livres, which I assume means, I think means life. Okay, whatever they are, that's one of them. Yeah. Uh, also, sync points, um, creed points, and helix yep. credits, which, of course, awesome. are a currency you can buy with real-life human currency uh, dollars. So, oh, just, okay. So they're doing they're doing the common currency, premium currency thing, so that at least generates two Two types of currencies. Yes, but they have then two others. And I have not read up about what the purpose is, because I wouldn't understand it because I don't play the game. But this is getting crazy. It's hard enough to understand two different currencies in a game because of the, you know, mixing real world and, and in-game stuff. But, like, this is ridiculous. There's a video on their, on the article to try to explain it, but it won't run for me. It was having problems, so I couldn't actually watch the video explanation. Oh, now now it plays. Before the show, it didn't work. Anyway. Um, yeah. So that's crazy to me that they would have this many. And I want an explanation from someone who knows what the hell this is all about. Why is it, it is reasonable for them to have four different currencies in a single game? I'll, um, since I love guessing so much, uh, I could offer an explanation. Sure. Off the cuff once again. So... I'm sure that, you know, when the designers designed that game, they had, like, very specific and good reasons in and of themselves to uh, have those four different currencies for the four whatever things they do in that game, you know. Um, But what seems to happen a lot of times in game development, and I'm not saying necessarily that this is what happened, but it kind of smells like maybe this is what happened, is that you're so close to a product that you, you know, a lot of times, like, especially these big games, like these cycles for development is like two years, three years, four years. 
and you're just like in the depth of the game you're making for such a long time that you start to forget uh, like how somebody who's never seen it before is going to uh, react to the complexity that you present to them. And it's actually it's something that has happened so commonly in game development that I think it's the main reason why most games of like the 90s and earlier uh, have been stereotypically so difficult, right? Because what happens is the the game developer uh, has been playing this game for like 50, 100 hours and he forgets like how hard it is for people who don't have the same experience. And so he accidentally ends up tuning things way too hard. It kind of sounds like to me this is like uh, the symmetrical analog type thing, except they're, they've just gone crazy with their uh, currency rules. Um, yeah, I I would not have expected that to be the explanation, but I don't know. I mean, I've certainly well, seen that before, guess. but uh, I, I, just, I have nothing else to say about it. It's just crazy to me that there would be so much. Uh, I mean, what's uh, what's Kotaku saying about it? About the currencies? Do we know? Yeah. I mean, like, what are they complaining about? Because they're not complaining. I mean, there's just... a lot of games that have like four kinds of different things in them, you know, that yeah. are not problematic. Although if it's a currency, you know, if you have all four, you're holding at the same time, they're totally different. Like, that's a lot to think about. It's a lot to hold in your head, you know. Yeah. Just to clarify, this particular article and video um, are on Polygon, not Kotaku. The other article about the meta stuff. Uh, oh, that was my bad. About, I was, yeah. yeah, I was that mixing was Kotaku. up the two. Um, Anyway, like I said, the video wouldn't run for me before, so I didn't watch it. Now it's running for me, but I don't want to, like, mess up the audio and stare at a video for two minutes while we do the show. But, yeah, especially uh, since we're at the end. Yeah. I mean, we should we should keep going since we wasted so much time talking about not game stuff. Um, <laughs> but, but somebody who cares more about the Assassin's Creed universe and the games in general, I hope, will tell us... Uh, why it is not crazy for them to have all these different currencies. I'm seeing some, you know, the video of the game. And at one point, like you're on a screen and it actually has like up in the corner here, you have so many of this and so many of this and so many of this and so many of this. There's actually four different currencies listed there. Wow. And that's just absurd. You know, I mean, technically speaking, I'm going to play devil's advocate. And I mean, there's a lot of games where you had like four different quantities of resource that you had to juggle that were all like displayed on the screen or more, you know, they just, they're not always embodied as currencies. You know, it's more typical to have one, of course, uh, you know, I'm talking about like, you'll have like your health and you'll have like maybe some magic and maybe there's like the stamina, like that's a common trio that you see a lot of times, but you're right. Like, you know, these things, uh, you know, and I'm also thinking about stuff like score or how many of like, if you're playing Castlevania, right, like, if you have a sub-weapon, how many of the sub-weapons do you have? How many hearts do you have? Because you spend those when you use your sub-weapon and stuff like that. But the thing that makes all that stuff uh, less overwhelming is that each of those different resources, like, it works in a different way and it does a different thing. And that, by that virtue, that makes it actually easier to understand. You I mean, know, I, the thing that makes stuff hard to understand is like if you have like four currencies that are like spent as money currency, and so now you have yeah, to. Yeah, I think okay, that's well, where they failed because they're yeah. they're putting it in that context. Whereas like 
I mean, it's basically the same thing to say, I have a red key, I have a blue key, I have an orange key, and the red key only opens the red doors, and the orange key only opens the orange doors. So if I have this currency, I've bought my way through that door. Like, Yeah, I mean, you could kind of think of it that way. It's the same idea, but it's all within context, and it's sensible. This is saying, basically, that you have these monies that can do various purchasing uh, actions, and that I can imagine it creates confusion. And I, again, I'm not surprised that this is happening in a game that's like the umpteenth iteration of something and they need to make, do something different. But I feel like this is just a stupid thing to add. And I'm sure it has purpose and it apparently has something to do with hacking your way through stuff. I don't, I don't know. I know the game has a lot to do with like computers because your brain is going back in time. You're not going back in time. Yeah. Maybe that's whatever. But uh, it seems dumb to me. So anyway, I've exhausted the few things that I, I specifically wanted to talk about uh, on on the show. <clears throat> I know you had a couple things or maybe you want to talk more about uh, being. Yeah, in the you know, they're all, they're all non video games. So maybe we should save it for the next uh, show. <laughs> OK, are you going back to the Philippines anytime soon? I very well may. And yeah, so I've what we missed out on this time, which I'll save for later is um I've got a lot of interesting things to say about Manila and the Philippines, um, and I probably will be going back, yeah. I don't know when exactly. And then the other thing which was kind of funny that maybe we'll talk about later, maybe we won't, is, um, you know, I'm not going to talk about any proper nouns, but I'm teaching somewhere, and it's very interesting when students cheat. Let's just say... I would be talking about that hypothetically. <laughs> wow. So no, it will not be a real story. I remember last uh, time Protect the Innocent. On our last show we discussed some of your uh challenges yeah, educating. Even though they're not innocent at all. Yeah. Um so you're finding even more challenges to the, the teaching game. Yeah, it's a whole new world. It's uh of being on the other side. Okay. Good. Well, uh hopefully you'll bring us some more stories next time um i i don't want to tell our listeners when the next show will be but i hope it won't be very long and uh you know you guys can enjoy your thanksgiving and your christmas and hopefully we'll be sooner somewhere than five weeks how about somewhere that? in the Let's middle do it sooner than five weeks yeah and uh not to harp on it too much but if you're interested to see the various artwork that is being produced as it's being created then i mentioned a million different places earlier you can just follow one of them um, specifically the Chatterbox Facebook page is a pretty easy one. So, you know, find that and and stay in touch with us and let me know what you think about that stuff. And uh, and if you come up with a title, if we need a title and I ask you for one, then I'll send you a copy of, of uh, the stuff that we're making. All right. So with that, I am, I am ready to go. Good times. We'll see everybody um, next uh, whenever week it is. Yeah. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night, guys. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.